0: Now, studios.
1: Each day, people step inside prison walls, not to serve a sentence, but to do a job. Correctional officers promise to hold each other accountable, and they're promised a new family. This is a story about two men who defied the unwritten code that binds that brotherhood together, and the cost they paid for telling the truth. I'm Suki Lewis from KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Today on Snap Judgment, a true story that will take you all over America, but you can put away your maps this journey we're making today won't be on highways or country roads, because we're launching through time. Now, this story does have some strong language and references incidents of racial violence. As such, listener discretion is advised. Our story begins in a Chicago neighborhood just a few weeks ago, when Jacoby Cochran walks into his grandmother's house. Snap Judgment.
0: So my grandmother Mamie is a time traveler and her home, which I'm sitting in right now, is a time machine. You might think I'm being poetic or metaphorical, but nah, she is a wizard. About four years ago, I was standing on her front porch listening for the familiar, who is it? I'm coming, who is it? Her nice way of saying, who the fuck is at my front door? When she opens the door, she embraces me in her arms, and I'm immediately transported to a place generations far before my own. You see, my grandparents moved into this house in the winter of 1967. So when you walk in the air and the furniture all has generational weight to it. As you come in through the door, you're immediately greeted by these perfectly manicured couches and lamps that are about as old as the house itself. The ageless dining room set in China is about 45. As I enter into the kitchen, I walk past the 39-year-old refrigerator, and I sit down at this exact table across from my grandmother. I grab some newspapers and scissors, and I get to clipping. Now, as I'm sitting at the table, I can't help but think what the last two decades of my life have looked like sitting across from this wizard. As I got older, I started watching Jeopardy with my grandma and I could actually understand what was happening. And I sat across from this genius who won millions of imaginary dollars from this exact green chair. And she loved to chastise motherfuckers when they would miss low hanging fruit. But as the years went on, she gave me harsher and more grounded lessons. She taught me what it meant to be black in America. She taught me what it meant to watch Chicago transform. To go on from being the first black family on her neighborhood to one of all black families in her neighborhood. She taught me to stay alert. She was the first person that made me realize that to be black in America is to be marked. And to be marked is to be hunted. But on this July afternoon, we were sitting there and we were clipping out the comic strips. You see, my grandmother loves this comic strip called Love Is. She is pretty much every single one from like 1983 Real talk And as we're going through getting the coupons And the sales Getting the love is She looks up at me and she says I don't enjoy this process As much as I used to Now of course I didn't take it personally I knew granny wasn't sitting there Saying she doesn't like Being at this table with me So I waited She said Kobe They never really celebrate Black folks On these newspapers They go out of their way To make us look Like a criminal Like an animal See my grandmother Was always able To boil a dissertation down Into a few sentences And I understood Exactly what she meant I've been sitting at this table for 25 plus years and the newspapers never taught me about Black Wall Street, how local gangs actually started as community organizations, hell, even Juneteenth. Nah, they went out of their way to remind me that I was marked. And to be marked is to be hunted. And at that moment, Jeopardy gives way to the news and me and my grandmother are immediately transported together from her kitchen table to a parking lot in Shreveport, Louisiana. It's grainy video footage, but both of us can kind of make out what's happening. In the front of a convenience store, we see a black man being wrestled to the ground, knees in his back, chest pinned against the concrete. You can't really hear exactly what's being said, but me and my grandmother sitting in the silence try to translate. When all of a sudden gunshots fill my grandmother's kitchen. She looks at me with these salt and pepper curls that have always been salt and pepper in my eyes. And she places her brittle hand on top of mine and she says... This is exactly what I'm talking about. Look how quickly they looked at that man and they made up their mind. Kobe, have I ever told you the story of Emma Till? In that moment, I couldn't move. Couldn't say anything, and all of a sudden, my grandmother turned around and she reached into this closet under a stack of newspapers and a stack of magazines and she pulled out this Ziploc bag. In it was a September 1955 copy of Jet Magazine. She sat it on the table in front of me. She told me the story of August 1955 in Money, Mississippi. When she got done, it was clear that time traveling took a lot out of her. You see, she used to be able to sit at this table and move through stories with precise phenomenological detail. But it was clear in her later years that her powers were wavering and she looked so tired. So she put the magazines back in the Ziploc and back in the closet. And she said, Kobe, I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to take a nap. I just sat here in this table in silence. As the names ran through my head. Like Oscar and Michelle Mike and Sandra, Freddie, Rakia, Laquan, and Alton. Eventually, I got up from the table and I exited the time machine and I went home. I woke up the next day. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't feel great. As you can imagine, the growing trauma of being black in America kind of fucks up the morning ritual. It's almost like my first thought is, wow, I'm alive. And my second thought is, here we go again. Uh, But instead of dwelling, I think to myself, you know what? I'm going to get up. I'm going to go back to my grandma's house because I don't really like how it ended yesterday. We was in the middle of clipping newspapers and coupons and love is comic strips. So I go back. And I'm standing on the front porch listening for the familiar Who is it? I'm coming Who is it? Which nicely translates to Who the fuck is standing at my front door? My grandmother opens it and places me in her warm embrace And immediately I'm transported to a time Generations before my own I walk past the perfectly manicured couches and lamps Past the ageless dining room set, past the 39-year-old refrigerator, and I sit back down at this table like I have my entire life. And I ask my grandmother to pass me a newspaper and a pair of scissors, and I get to clipping. And in the silence, my grandmother looks up at me and she says, Kobe, I don't really like doing this anymore. She said, they never really celebrate black folks on these newspapers. And I looked down and I said, you're right, grandma, they don't. And before I could continue, she cut me off and she said, but Kobe, I'm gonna show you one of my favorite newspapers. And she reached in this closet under a whole bunch of newspapers and she pulled out a copy of the Sun-Times from 2013. And she put it in my face and she said, you see this little boy right up here in the corner? She said, this is my favorite newspaper because they put one of my favorite black boys on this newspaper. And it was a little picture of my face in the corner. And of course, I'm sitting there blushing with my grandma because you know how grandparents hype you up, right? They make you feel like superstars even when you just live in. But before I could say thank you, the television goes to the news. And me and my grandmother are immediately transported to St. Paul, Minneapolis, Minnesota black woman is holding up her phone on Facebook live as her daughter screams in the back seat as her boyfriend bleeds out in the passenger seat shot as we would later learn seven times and me and my grandmother we sit there and we watch the last moments of Philando Castile's life and she looks at me With those salt and pepper curls, and she puts her brittle hand on top of mine and she says, Kobe, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Have I ever told you the story of Emma Teal? And she reaches behind her in this closet under a stack of newspapers and magazines. And she grabs a Ziploc bag in it, an original September, 1955 jet magazine. And she sets it on the table and she looks at me. You see, my grandmother is a time traveler, a wizard. And this house I sit in is her time machine. but she no longer remembers being the first black family on this block. You see, with the dementia, she no longer remembers the perfectly manicured couch and lamps. She doesn't remember that the ageless dining room set (laughs) in China is 45. She doesn't remember that the refrigerator is 39. She doesn't even remember that we sat here at this exact table yesterday. But unlike yesterday, my grandmother summons up this energy and she tells me vividly the story of August 28th, 1955. She tells me first about four days earlier and the lie that Carolyn Bryant told. She tells me about the night her husband and his brother kidnapped Teal from his grand-uncle's house. How they beat him and tortured him. Then tied a 75-pound fan around his neck and drugged him and shot him in the back of his head and left him where he was found days later. She told me about Mammy Teal and the sacrifices that no mother should ever have to make. How she was forced to make the tough decisions to show the world the brutality it was already very much aware of. How black women are often left picking up the broken pieces in these moments and movements. A few months later, my grandmother passed away just a season before celebrating the 50th anniversary in her home. And I'll be honest with you. I've been selfish. I've sat at this table now in the seat she once occupied and I wish every day that she'd sit next to me, that she'd time travel with me. But part of me is happy that she no longer has to clip these newspapers where black people die every day for walking and running and driving and sleeping and selling, and relaxing, and living. I recently came back to my grandmother's house and I stood on the front porch. I didn't listen for the familiar, who is it? I'm coming, who is it? Because now that it's my mother's home, she's installed the camera doorbell, so she knows exactly who the fuck is on her front porch. My mother answers the door and she wraps me in her warm embrace. As I walk past the perfectly manicured couches that are still as old as the house, I notice the refrigerator has been replaced. But me and my mother, we sit in the same two chairs and we start clipping through newspapers. Not for coupons and sales, but like my grandmother My mom loves this comic strip. Love is. And then the TV goes to news. And me and my mother are transported to Kenosha, Wisconsin. (laughs) We don't clip the newspapers nearly as much as my grandmother did. We don't stack and collect the names, but we remember them. I open up my journal. I write down his name, Jacob Blake. And then I write what's on my heart in that moment. My grandmother, Mamie, is a time traveler.
1: Jacoby Cochran, for sharing story with the Snap. Jacoby's an award-winning performer, educator, and writer who reps Chicago's South Side all day. To learn more about where to catch his latest shows, videos, and writing, check out our website, snapjudgment.org. The original score for that story was by Clay Xavier. It was produced by Regina Barriaco and Anna Sussman.